Melissa Grumont with GCPL Flip the Library podcast, and today we'll be talking to a few staff members that attended the Medical Library Association's symposium in Atlanta on May the 22nd. I'm Steve Thomas. I'm the branch manager at the Collins Hill branch. Hi, I'm Victoria Montesdoca Perez. I am the supervisory librarian at Hamilton Mill. Hello, my name is Christina Gangwish. I'm the assistant branch manager at the Buford Sugar Hill branch. And you may have noticed that Steve will actually be an interviewee today, um, and it will just be me uh, asking the questions. No co-hosting. No (laughs) co-hosting. So, was this anyone's first time attending a professional conference? And if so, what were your initial reactions? It was my first time uh, attending a professional conference, and it just really was not what I expected. In my head, I kind of built it up as a, okay, well, this is how you get, you do A, B, and C to get D. And it really was not that at all, and I just, I thought it was a very cool experience in, in general. What do you mean by cool? It was just very interesting to see people from other areas of the library profession and, you know, to see what their what their take on librarianing is. Yeah, because we, we don't we really, because this is more like a special librarian section, I mean, the, the medical librarians, it's not really what we, those of us in library school who thought we're going into public libraries or some of us academic libraries didn't really look at this kind of stuff. So it was, yeah. it was a really different view of librarianship. Yeah, absolutely. But it was not my first time going to a conference. I was fortunate to be able to attend ALA Annual in San Francisco in 2015. Um, in some ways it was similar in terms of the pace, very fast paced, lots of activities, lots of people to meet. Um, but again, as others have said, it was also a very different crowd, very specialized. Now that said, I was able to interact with a number of public librarians as well. So it was interesting to see each other in a different context, um, trying to learn about a new area of librarianship that we hadn't really explored yet. Yeah. So this conference was different because the medical librarians decided to invite public librarians to a symposium. Um, please tell me why you think public librarians should remain informed about the health sciences or public health. Um, well, I'll jump in first and just say that I think it's mostly because that's what that's something that our public, our customers ask about. So it's helpful for us to know um, the best places because we can't obviously can't give diagnoses ourselves, just like we don't give answers to legal questions or tax questions and like that. But we should know the correct places to refer people. Um, and that was a lot of what I think um, why librarians in general should be educated about this kind of thing. I'll add that I think in our community in particular, um, here in Gwinnett County, it's really important because so many of our customers um, and residents of Gwinnett County lack health insurance. Um, I've done some research and it seems to be about 24% of our community lacks any access to health care um, or health insurance. And often, you know, as we discussed at the conference, when you lack health care, you avoid receiving preventative care and unfortunately that can lead to you ultimately having major health issues that you're not addressing. So being able to help people navigate the health information when they they are trying to find out where to go for help or how to do some research about a condition that maybe the the person that they've finally seen about this condition that's been ongoing, you know, verifying what they should actually do and, and make an informed decision is really important. 
Yeah, because on, on top of that, I, mean, I was going to say, it, it's nice for us to just say, well, we'll just refer them to your doctor and go to the doctor. But like Christina was saying, there's a lot of people who can't go to the doctor. Yeah. And so they need places to go in the library or either online or in print or whatever mm-hmm. that they can actually get verified, accurate mm-hmm. medical information and not just Googling yeah. things. You know, along those lines, too, um, even when you go to your doctor, how often have you been in the doctor's office with either, you know, a family member or yourself? They tell you a condition, they tell you a treatment, and you don't know what that means. Um, You don't know what it's going to cost. You don't know what the side effects are going to be, how it's going to impact the overall quality of life for you. So that can be really terrifying for people. Absolutely, and it's just a good idea to always have a neutral place that doesn't have any sort of vested interest in a person's medical care to be able to point them to verifiable information. Um, Have any of you used any health or medical related resources in your work? Definitely. Yeah, Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, hey. Um, I use Consumer Health Complete a lot, um, both professionally and personally, to look up health information about conditions, medications that have been prescribed to me, to family members, um, honestly, even to pets. Because a lot of times, knowing the side effects, knowing what to expect, knowing the questions to ask, based on the information I can find, is really helpful. Um, I've used Medline Plus, PubMed. Um, There's a couple of resources that I use for looking up products skin safe from mayo clinic is really great and i've mentioned that to other people um because often too when you're looking at various um things that you're using in your daily experience trying to find out the ingredients and things and how they're going to interact in your body is hard yeah and i've I've used the cdc site before to look up things Mm -hmm. like they'll have doctor information if somebody had a question about that recent e coli outbreak and Mm -hmm. lettuce you can go there and look and see what the details are and they'll provide up-to-date information on things like that so especially especially i mean there's lots of good stuff on that site but especially with the breaking outbreak kind of things that's a good place to look for I have been a very big user of WebND in the past, and uh, mm-hmm. at this conference, I actually learned about Medline Plus and how mm-hmm. awesome it is. Even though it's very technical, it's I was poking around the website, and I will definitely be using that one in the future as well. Yeah. Toxnet was also, come to think of it, another yeah. one that I've used, too. Some of the resources from that as well have been really helpful. Yeah, they mentioned a few other things that we might talk about later, I guess, but they have, mm-hmm. we, I think we learned about a lot of new things yeah, <laughs> at, absolutely. This, at this place. Yeah. That's great. Um, what did you find interesting? Um, this could be programming ideas or just anything of note that wasn't what you expected. Well, uh, what I found the most interesting was the prevalence of talking about precision medicine in general. We There was a, a I guess, a seminar uh, that a, a genetic counselor was giving on what precision medicine is how it plays a role in, or how it will play a role in cutting edge medicine in the future, and why it is important to know about and to, I guess, maybe consider um, doing some library programming around precision medicine. Along those lines, um, what really struck us when we were hearing about precision medicine is that we already knew what it was. You know, we think of Ancestry.com offering their little tests and things like that. Um, and how all of these agencies or companies are popping up that are offering, you know, customers advice about their health, but how a lot of that isn't really verified or confirmed in any way, and people are making important decisions about their lives based off 
potentially very inaccurate information that could really hurt them. Um, so knowing how to explain that to customers and also the privacy issue was really eye-opening. Absolutely. With um, products that are direct-to-consumer, like 23andMe, and how all of these um, products, to kind of backtrack on what specifically precision med- uh, medicine is, is that it takes your DNA or a DNA sample and synthesizes it and kind of tells you what your body can and cannot metabolize. And um, this is interesting, as Christina was mentioning, because um, it takes your personal genetic code and people can do with that information what they will. Um, if it is done not as a direct-to-consumer, if you do get decide to get genetic testing through a direct-to-consumer product, your DNA is out there and people can purchase it and use it as they will. Whereas if you do so with a clinical with a with a clinical doctor or with a doctor through insurance, was this through insurance? Mm-hmm. Um, that information is protected by HIPAA. And along those lines, the privacy issue too. They just there's been a big news um, issue with them catching a serial killer, the Golden State Killer, because mm-hmm. a family member, not even him, did a direct to consumer test. And it led to law enforcement being able to access enough information that they were able to discover that he was because they because they had his killer. DNA from crime yeah. scenes and they and they 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 purchased the data from one yeah. of those places and mm-hmm. they matched it up. I think it was actually yeah. freely accessible in this one. Some of them yeah. are purchased, but yeah. and it's it's really something that I have to admit is a somewhat skeptic. Sometimes I have thought of that being a potential issue of privacy yeah. for people doing these tests. But I don't think a lot of people really realize how invasive it can be to put your information out there and not know who might be able to see very personal data about you. Right, and, and, and it's precision medicine because obviously it's, it's becoming it's precise to you that it's your, the medications you're taking and things like that. They talked about, um, see if I can say this word, pharmacogenetics, and that's um, a drug metabolism test that you can take to make sure that... Um, that the medications you're taking will actually work with yeah. you because there are medications that are triggered by certain things in your body and they went into a couple of details about that but I can't explain all that medical stuff but basically some things like will go into your kidney and your kidney will have certain enzymes in it that it will activate the medicine and if you have a certain if you, you may not have the DNA sequence to activate that so you're just taking sugar pills basically so there's things like that so they have all those things and I think another thing that they talked about some case studies with um, especially with the 23andMe and those kind of things, that's, mm-hmm. is that you don't want to rely on those. Those are nice information to have, but it's not a full clinical yeah. examination and that they, they basically run three tests on it and that's it. So it gives you the information that you want as a, as a consumer, as a fun little project, but it's not doing a full health diagnosis. You should never use that as your full mm-hmm. diagnosis. Like it misses a lot of, it'll catch, it'll, it'll catch everything about the edge cases, but a lot of us live in the edge cases. <laughs> So, so we, won't, we won't pick up certain cancer genes and things like that for people. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, because they gave one example of a woman who, they gave several scenarios, but they gave an example where a woman had a test and it didn't reveal to her that the gene that she needed to activate the particular prescription for her condition was, she didn't have it, so it didn't activate the medication. And she, in this scenario, ended up becoming very ill and dying because she wasn't prescribed the right medication for her her condition. 
So those kinds of details, you know, thinking, having this false sense of security that you're safe because, oh, well, you know, I don't have that gene from whatever family member and it's going to be okay. Well, no, stuff that you may not realize um, is present. Now, did they you. mention access to this precision health care? Because we were just talking about, you know, people not having access to just basic health insurance. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming access to precision health care is also going to be limited. I think it's even more gateway because I think she made a mention that a lot of insurance doesn't even cover these yeah. genetic tests. So even if you have insurance and you go to your doctor, that doesn't mean you're going to get, you still might have to pay the $400 genetic test. And she pointed out, again, that's how you can be aware that, these, sorry to pick on 23andMe in particular, but that those kind of tests, mm-hmm. that there's something going on there because they're doing it for however much money. Much Usually around 100 Around $100. Yeah. Those tests cost four or $500. So how are they doing it for that cost? Because they're selling your data. Yeah. So that's you have to kind of weigh those things. And you may still want to do it. You may be okay with that. But just be, we need to make sure people are aware of things like that too. And to kind of like add to what you're saying, another reason why the those direct-to-consumer tests are so cheap is because they are not actually reviewed by a, a genetic a genetic counselor. They're, they're not actually read. They just like kind of spit out the data and give it to you as a consumer, and you as a consumer are, um, are supposed to be able to decode that information and, okay, take that information for what you will. That information is not double-tested, whereas a clinical test would be. Yeah. Well, I think, too, just letting people know that this information or that these tests are available is a big part of where we can help the public too because again as we discussed you know you may have 5 10 15 minutes with your doctor mm-hmm. they go through your diagnosis and the treatment they're recommending but they they're not going to get into the nitty-gritty of how they came to that conclusion um, and even if they did you wouldn't necessarily understand it so being able to help people kind of filter what they're hearing and know where to look for more information when they have questions and what questions even to ask of a specialist is very important. Yeah. And that's one thing they talked about as far as specialists go and what kind of following up your question, Ms. is that also um, there is a position called genetic counselor, and that's basically someone who works at a hospital generally and will come and talk to you and will explain all this to you after you've gotten a test of what, what does it mean that you have this you have this gene that you you may have read about, oh my gosh, this is causes of breast cancer, and every woman that gets it, they can talk to you about it of, here's your treatment options. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that. You're not, not necessarily going to get it. It increases your mm-hmm. likelihood of having it, but it doesn't necessarily mean you do have it. So that's a pretty um, neat role that I'd never heard of before, the genetic yeah. counselor that will talk, talk you through it. And they're also... Um, mm-hmm. a therapist basically so they'll talk you through it so if obviously if you hear you have this gene that has makes you 96% more likely to get breast cancer it's going to upset you so you want to have somebody you can talk to that can talk to you well and um, help you through it emotionally as well as physically well and I think they talked too about the social media aspect of you know you hear of celebrities um, who are discovering that they have certain genes and they've you know come to the determination that, that they determination that they need to take certain steps to prevent them from becoming ill and suddenly everyone who knows anything about their medical history is deeply concerned and is wanting to know oh do I have that gene and what do I need to do if I do so helping to kind of steer them um, and teaching them how to read news sources um, can be very again beneficial Um, there's an interesting podcast from public libraries online where they talk about news sources and particular words that you should watch for. Um, and I think a lot of our customers, you know, when they see cure, when they see 
New Hope, you know, they they latch on to whatever they're being told. So uh, steering them to a better direction is what we can do as librarians. Um, that leads really well to our next question is what did you learn that you can bring back to improve our work at GCPL? Well, uh, we learned a lot about a lot of fun and interesting resources that we can bring to GCPL that are such as Medline Plus, such mm -hmm. as the new campaign that just started on May 7th, the All of Us campaign that yes. is starting. I did see. <laughs> are you signing up for it? Um, as of right now, <laughs> no, but I might in the future. Okay. I think one of the most important things that we learned is what we don't know. Because Absolutely. I think if we don't know it as well-educated professionals, there's a lot that we can do to improve our knowledge so that we can help then help the public. Um, I think also just pointing out, too, some of the sensitivity concerns and, you know, addressing that when you're working with people and just not assuming, like, they gave a great example of a customer comes in and asks for books about diabetes, and the staff member shows their, her where the books are and sees her leave a few minutes later with no books. And what they find out is that actually she didn't want books about diabetes. She wanted books about cooking for someone with diabetes. So knowing when you're working with individuals how to really kind of go about that reference interview with them and ask them the questions to get to the root of what they're really seeking in this context in, in relation to health is even more sensitive than it is in a normal situation where you're you know, being respectful of privacy, but also trying to help them kind of delve deeper. Um, so I think it taught us that we have a lot to learn. Yeah, and, and Vicki and I went to a session together um, talking about a lot of different program ideas and too many that we can name them all off yeah. <laughs> here, but with, there are a lot of things that inspired us, I think, to think about in the future. But part of that also was not, so they were giving some examples, but they were also talking about how to get funding from the um, National Network of Libraries of Medicine, the NNLM. Um, because they provide lots of funding for lots of different kind of programs. There are going to be big chunks of funding, like for $100,000, but they have to have a few grants that are going for $1,000, $2,000 for smaller things. Mm -hmm. So um, they talked about that, and there's a specific rep for our area, and they'd give, um, they give funding for things like health, health information awareness and outreach, and even for professional development for attending conferences like this that, to give staff, yeah. um, keep, keep them informed. Um, there's also been, what I was really interested to hear more about um, are some programs that other libraries are doing to help their communities address health needs and health information needs. Um, I heard, I've done a little bit of research about what Pima County Public Library is doing with their library nurse program, um, but there were some speakers that addressed, you know, what they're doing at the Kansas Public Library, for example, um, where they're working with vulnerable communities, immigrant populations, refugees. Um, Seattle Public, we also heard from, um, and Caldwell Public. And again, it's just, it's definitely evident that librarians, the library profession as a whole, is recognizing the need for customers to have someone to help steer them toward appropriate information and where to get help. Um, so I think that it's something that we can explore in our community, especially knowing that the statistics are so high for those who lack help currently. Um, we also wanted to bring up that that was a neat thing that they brought, uh, I had seen on the site before we attended the conference and I was looking into it. Um, they have the CHIS, which is the Consumer Health Information Specialization. And it's a professional development program for librarians. Um, 
and it's for health sciences librarians, public librarians, whoever, and they were really pushing it for public librarians. And it's for them to specifically learn how to improve your skills and your knowledge in this kind of information, consumer health. Um, and it's a training program that's pretty intensive, but it is all free. There's a registration cost of, I think, $75 if you're not a member of MLA, uh, Medical Library Association, but it's $75 one time only, then all the courses are free. Um, it sounds like it's pretty intensive of, to do it, and then you have to renew every three years, and there's kind of two different levels. But it sounded really neat to me. And actually, the $75 fee that they do charge as a one-time fee can actually be covered through a grant through, I believe, NNLM, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, that was one of the professional development grants I think that they offer mm -hmm. that they'll cover that cost, yeah. so it's, it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, what would you say to a colleague to encourage them to attend a conference in the future? I'll start with you, Vicki, since this is your first one. Well, I would say um, just to just to go and to really pay attention, really learn, try and speak to as many people as you possibly can. Um, it's a very interesting experience. Um, it is, as Christina mentioned, very fast-paced, but it is very rewarding as well. I think for me personally, I'm always energized when I get to meet other library professionals, especially in different contexts, because you know we're somewhat insulated in our community. Um, it's not that we don't have a lot of diversity within GCPL, but we have a lot to learn from the outside world, and staying on top of trends um, can be very important, because as Vicki said earlier, we empower people in the face of adversity by giving them information. And I think for me, you know, I see that more and more with my customers, that Everybody wants to go to Google for information. Everybody thinks, oh, I can just Google it. I'll find the answers. And Google is Google. Is Google. Um, we'll leave it at that. But I think really where I've been able to help people is to filter them, filter the sources that they're looking at and letting them know, okay, this is verified information. This is good information that you can trust. It's not just some person putting their thoughts, their feelings, ideas out who doesn't have the background and knowledge that you really need. Yeah, and it's, yeah, I've answered this question before in other podcasts, but I'll put a spin on it for this one in that what's special about this conference in particular is that it is a specialization. So it's not a conference that we would normally send staff to, that we would normally go to, but it gave us all a different kind of idea of how to think about this. So maybe be, look, when you're looking at conferences and hearing about conferences, consider that when you submit something to go to a conference. I mean, you can always, if you see a conference that you want and there, you don't see an email from training saying that you want to, does anybody want to go to this? You can still submit it to your supervisor and say, hey, I'd like to attend this conference and they'll pass it up and they'll, I mean, maybe they'll say no, but you never know. I mean, this is a neat opportunity and I think that we were all three very happy to be able to go to it. Absolutely, yeah. I'll add too that it's always a pleasure to get to go different things with colleagues at other branches too because we don't always get to interact with each other as much as we'd like so we learn within our own community from each other as well well thank you guys for sharing um, your experience and taking out the time to share with everyone about what you learned at the conference thank you thank you thank you, thank you.